Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Lennis. We're two engineers who saw a problem. And like any good engineer, we decided to solve it. You see, two out of every five women who earn an engineering degree will leave their field by the 12-year mark of their career. That's a definite problem. We witnessed, and us ourselves were, incredibly talented women who were burning out, which is what brings us here today. We're two women with a mutual passion to help you prevent burnout. In this sophomore season, we're bringing in experts in our fields, difference makers in STEM, to help you truly transform the way you work. So we invite you to take a quick break with us and choose one small step today to prioritize your well-being through this episode. So take a deep breath and let's do it. Welcome to this episode of Take a Break. Today, we are joined by my amazing friend, Jessica. Jess is an herbalist and environmental engineer. She creates holistic herbal products and helps women who are struggling with burnout, adrenal fatigue, hormone imbalance, and more. So welcome, Jess. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you here too. We can't wait to get into uh, some more detail about what it is that you really focus on with your work. Uh, but first, we want to ask you, what do you wish that you could tell the 22-year-old version of you about being a woman working in STEM? So when I started out, I was in construction. And the biggest thing that I would say is that you don't have to mold yourself after the company culture, especially if it's a harmful one. There was a lot of sexism and a lot of racism, and I felt like to get ahead, I had to fit in, and that's just not true. So, I mean, I honestly think I would have gotten farther if I had stood up for myself more. Yeah, that that's hard. As a young person coming out of college, you feel like, uh, I, I'm here to just be moldable, right? To absorb as much as possible, to be amenable, and and to really be seen as a team player. I can definitely resonate with that feeling as well. And yeah, for me, it took a, a while to learn that I needed to have boundaries. I needed to lead with my own values and, and ethics and morals. And I wish every 22-year-old knew that at, at the outset. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was also the first girl the company hired. So there was a big learning curve for them as well. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Talk about being yeah. a trailblazer. Did you know that at the time? Yeah, I was. So I was in I was their first female. They had females in the um, administrative task, but I was the first female engineer they hired in engineering as an intern, first female intern and then first hire. Wow. Yeah. Being the first is always even more scary, right? Because then you don't have any role models to follow, especially when it's your first job or your first internship. And we it's easy for women in STEM in general just to also lean more into that masculine energy on the fitting in and the problem solving. And that's where we cut up 
part of our authenticity because no matter what, there's always a little bit of that nurturing side to, I think, most women in general or female identified people. So uh, that's, yeah. (laughs) Also in the, in construction, you travel, there's a lot of travel. And when you're eating out, uh, there's a lot of drinking. And, you know, I didn't want to because I was into health and working out. And then I was, you know, picked on and looked down on and then to fit in, I started doing like all those little things that you don't even think about that are part of a company culture, not just necessarily your work, you're being the first woman, it's how you interact with people, it is the comments that they make, what you let slide, what, how you're acting when you're traveling with people you work with outside of the actual office. All those things come together and you need to be yourself as hard as that may be. Yeah. I, I found that when I was really focusing on my health uh, while working in the corporate world as well, it made other people uncomfortable. And so I was on the receiving end of a lot of jokes or snide comments. And I was also then excluded from a lot of things because, mm-hmm. you know, well, we're not going to invite Caroline to lunch because she doesn't eat that food. I would still go, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want my career to take a hit because I prioritized my my personal well-being it just that was it a hundred percent yeah all three of us can relate to that because all three of us are health oriented and have been focusing on our well-being um at different stages in our lives right and just uh seeing this culture that the bro culture right that it's the drinking and the partying hard and the eating whatever and it's just it, it there's a mismatch which which I get curious, Jess, because you said, okay, at the beginning you were interested in health already. You were health conscious, making sure that you're nurturing your body. So what sparked your interest into pursuing herbalism specifically in addition to your career in civil engineering? Eventually, I started working for an environmental engineering firm. Um, it was still construction, but it was environmental remediation. And um, in about 2016, the EPA started having us test for PFAS, which is very widely known now. Um, it's like the new BPA. But back then, we were first testing for it. We couldn't have washed our hands recently. We couldn't wear steel-toed boots, our normal Tyvek suits. We had to have specially bottling. We couldn't have had anything that came out of a plastic wrapper. And no, to, I don't know what I even said, no perfume, no deodorant, no makeup, no sunscreen. And all of this was because we'd cross-contaminate the sample. So the thing that could kill us that we're testing for is in all of those things. And um, I was pregnant. And I was like, I, and then I was like, I don't want to expose my child to all these things. And I already came from a household that we didn't use fragrances because my dad was allergic. He has an autoimmune thing. Um, and we hunted, we fished, we foraged. My grandfather was raised Native American. So like I was already kind of crunchy to begin with. And then this started happening and I was just like, I'm going to learn to make everything myself. And then the more I learned, the more I got into it and the more I read and the more I just got obsessed, I guess. Um, so it was really my career that kind of pushed me into it. Um, I should also mention my husband's an environmental scientist who focuses on human health um, and human exposure. So between the two of us, we're we're kind of tinfoily hatty. 
you're either a hit at parties or um, you kill the buzz. But either way, <laughs> it's it's important, right? Like I think that it's hard to kind of weed through some of the um, constant alarms that we hear, right? Like, is this good for us? Is this bad for us? Oh, it turns out that this isn't actually as bad for us as we thought it was. Oh, it turns out this is much worse for us than uh, we thought it was. For you, what has been your own surprises? Like as you've started to apply this traditional medicine in your own life and with clients that you work with, what have been things that have surprised even you beyond what you've read and educated? Um, that pretty much all of the modern theories are garbage. Mm. Yeah. So like, um, you know, we were raised on the food pyramid and the carbs at the bottom are the biggest building block. And then when you look at one of the first things they do with archaeologists is they have them look at a skeleton from pre-agricultural revolution, post-agricultural revolution. You have to decide which one is which. Well, the one that is post is the one that has the broken down teeth and is weak and is shorter and has like cancer and all these other things. But the hunter gatherer um, tends to be more robust, you know, ligament and bone attachments, stronger teeth, all these things. But they don't account for other parts of culture when they talk about that. And that's where people are like, oh, well, so that means we should be eating paleo. Well, paleo in South America is completely different than paleo in the Arctic. So no, there is no one diet. We are all individuals and there are millions of types of shampoo because we all have different hair. So what makes you think that one diet, one nutrient, one thing is going to fix all of us as a whole? So when you, they keep coming out with these new studies and saying, you should do this, you should do this. I say it's all garbage because it depends on you as the individual person. And I feel in a, specific biology. I feel in a way it gives us a false, a really false sense of control, right? When, when somebody from the outside, and that goes back to your authenticity and the values that we spoke about earlier, but when someone from the outside that it's portrayed as an expert tells you something, you feel like, okay, I can control that specific thing and that's what's going to solve all my problems because it's so much harder to go in and look at what you specifically need and what's going on within. So yeah, I can, like, I'm like applauding here because I can so resonate with that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I tell all my clients, it's not, you know, we might have a one-time consultation, but it's not a one-time thing. Like the things I suggest might not work and we might have to reevaluate because I, like, we all have a specific biology and yes, I, I have education to help you come up with these things, but it's really up to, are you going to do it? How does your body react to it? What are the other things going on that might impede that one thing that I told you to do? Like, you know, it's all the things. You're bringing up a really um, interesting segue here because this is something that we see a lot is this negligence of the fact that we're bio-individual, right? Not wanting to acknowledge that 
like our emotions might be at play in whatever expression of health that we're experiencing. Our stress is at play. Uh, all of these other factors that are uniquely ours, because that, that's not an easy answer, right? It's, it's a very complicated answer that requires patience, attention, dedication. So how do you handle that type of rebuttal of uh, that's baloney, right? Like just eat this way or exercise this way or work this way. What's your response to that? Um, go ahead, try it, see how it works out for you. Because <laughs> I, I honestly think that people need to experience it. Um, one of the things I teach in most of my classes and when I'm talking to my clients is the why. Um, being in science, I go into the actual biochemistry. So I explain to people, like when you're talking about emotions, we have not developed the ability for our, our brain to distinguish a difference between a actual threat, like a lion attack or a perceived threat, like a work deadline. So our body reacts the same because in that aspect, it thinks it's a fight or flight moment. And that's why we all have so much stress. And that's a biological process. So when I go through and I explain the biological processes and the chemical interactions that are happening for people, then they start to understand, oh, that might not work for me because while this is an actual thing that's happening, I also have this other, you know, piece going on. And you have to, you, and I really think my experience as a project manager was huge for understanding this because as a project manager, there are 8 million moving parts. You know, you've got the workers, you've got the supplies, you've got all these other things happening. And the human body is exactly the same. It's not a closed system. And so you have to be able to pivot really quickly and figure like, I just, just got done with a client 20 minutes ago. And as I'm talking, working through my theory, she's like, Oh, by the way, I have this other thing. And I was like, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> um, but it ended up just solidifying what I already thought was going on. But I'm like, that would have been a huge piece of the puzzle that could have made this a lot quicker. You know what I mean? Like, um, but we don't think all these things, people don't realize all these things are connected too. your body isn't a closed system, but it all works together. Mm -hmm. And so I try to explain the, the basics, the biological, the why of what's going on. And if people still disagree with me, then you have to figure it out on your own. I mean, believe mm -hmm. me, I've tried every weird thing you could try before I just came to the realization that we all need different shampoo. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I understand that not everybody is ready to admit that they need to have that patience and they need to figure it out for themselves. Cause I was there too. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You brought up the, the biological response of stress, which leads us to uh, uh, what I think, and Lennis, you're going to love this question too, but what do you think is the biggest misconception about symptoms of burnout? The biggest misconception about symptoms is that they're normal. So like yeah. a lot of time we yes. go to the doctor and we say, I have really painful periods. Oh, that's normal. We'll put you on a pill. I think I ha I'm stressing out about things. I have anxiety. That's normal. We'll put you on a pill. I have aches and pains in my lower back. Well, you're over 30. That's normal. It's not normal. None of those things are normal. They are all signs pointing to something else. There are people in the world that literally have zero aches and pains until they're 80. Mm -hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? There's no reason we can't all feel that way. But 
one of the tenets of American culture is to kind of not have a culture. So like when you're pregnant, when you're going through different stages in life and a lot of other cultures, you eat certain things, you do certain things. And part of that, and I always use pregnancy because it's the easiest example. Um, every other culture has like, okay, you're pregnant. You need to eat like oysters. You need to do this. You need to drink this tea because your body needs so much extra stuff. And in the U.S., we're like, take a prenatal. But mm. that prenatal, not everything is bioavailable. There, it's not. It doesn't cover what that specific person with that specific genetic background might need. And so we end up like you have this kid, and then you're in this place of lack, right? Because you used up all those mineral stores, and then suddenly you're getting headaches, and you're getting moody, and you have anxiety. Well, that's because you don't have enough magnesium to make the correct hormones so that you can feel normal. And instead of solving that problem, we're just like, oh, that's normal. You have a kid. And it's just yeah, nuts. It's fascinating that this is the culture where we only tell pregnant women what not to eat, right? We don't tell them what to eat. And mm-hmm. <laughs> just such a rare experience compared to any other culture in the world. Yeah. Well, and it's like that with everything else. When in some cultures, when women get their period, they're supposed to eat and drink certain things, you know? Um, when men are going through puberty, they're supposed to eat and drink certain things. And we don't, we just don't have any like the American culture steals all of their traditions from other cultures but I feel like it only takes the fun ones you know like Christmas and parties and like not the okay you need to eat beef liver now mm-hmm. yeah yeah anything that's easy to market too right it's like you test the audience and then if it's easy to market that's what we're gonna hammer out because this is the clickbait like we, we're very familiar with so yeah Okay, now it's time for our burning question of the week. Jess, we want to know what modern habit or habits, if you have a few, do you think is the most damaging to female hormones? The biggest and first one I'm going to go with is sleep, which is starting to become a thing. Um, If you don't have time to rest and digest, you don't have time to remove the side effects of hormones and you don't have time to build new the building blocks of the new hormones. Um, And we live in a culture where, oh, I only need to sleep X amount of hours. I got all this done. I stayed up all night, especially I find in engineering. Again, as a project manager, when I was working part-time with my kids, being home with my kids during COVID, um, my boss was like, oh, you'll just have to do it after they go to bed. And I was like, they go to bed at seven and they get up at six. Like, I have to shower too. Like, when do you want this to happen? And well, you'll just have to lose some sleep. And I quit. It's just a world where the hustle is important and the sleep is not. And we also, we have all this technology and we leave the TV on and we wake up and sleep is probably the biggest thing. Um, And then the next one I would say would be uh, healthy fats and protein. Um, right now Mm -hmm. it's a big push to eat vegan, um, and to, to eat less meat. And I I have nothing against vegetarians, but you need to have, if you have too much, um, carbohydrate and not enough of protein, you can end up in a cortisol like spikes throughout the day because cortisol and insulin kind of feed off each other. And then if you're, if you're a perfectly healthy person, there's actually nothing wrong with that. Your body's biologically able to handle that. But if you're working from a place of lack, 
which most of us are, that can create a tidal wave of bigger issues. And it's not actually better for the environment to not eat cows. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I love to shift into, we, we usually close our episodes with a habit or just some tips that we want to our audience to try at home. So um, what is one habit that you would like to share that can, you know, help prioritize your energy or manage stress or just take care of our feminine selves? What would be one um, that you will recommend, Jess? Mocktails. I know that sounds crazy, but if you switch your afternoon coffee for a mocktail with say you do like and what my favorite one is a shot of kombucha in a seltzer with a little bit of a ashwagandha or a timeout tincture which are um adaptogens and nervine tonics you can ease your stress you can go into your evening feeling better and then you get that shot of probiotics for your digestion so it's like a multi-fold amazing thing and then you're cutting out that extra caffeine that can be keeping you up at night Mm-hmm. So I am all for the mocktails. I'm all for adding things in that are fun and make it easy for people to do. Like I make my mocktails while I'm cooking dinner and I put them in a fun glass. So I'm like, you know, chilling yeah. out, rocking out. And it's great. Yeah, I love, love that because it also gives you a replacement for the default that we are bombarded with the message of your glass of wine after work to relax and your glass of wine after dinner or with dinner, which again, for some people, it may, they may be fine, but I know for me, wine just kills me. It just, I have a reaction to it. So mocktails, I love it. I put it right in the wine glass because for me, half of it is holding the wine glass makes me relax because mm-hmm. I did it. I, I had that glass of wine for so long. So now it's like a mental trigger. So when I put it in my wine glass, I'm like, <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, my habit of the of the week is dedicating time in the early morning to go outside and just let my eyes see the morning light. It is something that uh, as I've adjusted to the school year routine, I've lost a little bit, but I really want to make sure that I'm my most productive, most energetic self. And if I can spend 10 minutes outside with my morning cup of warmth, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. I'll say I want to share something that has been top of mind and I've been sharing with my private community and clients is the 1% concept of Mm -hmm. if you want to shift something in your day to day, don't make it overwhelming, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to start exercising and I'm going to go to the gym now five days a week where you started from zero. So a 1% improvement, it's going to help you make it sustainable. So I think just remember when you're excited about trying a new habit, when you're excited about trying this mocktail is try it one night a week, right? And see how it goes. And then you start getting familiar with how to make it. And I know, Jess, you have plenty of um, resources. And I would love for you to actually share where can people find you? Because this has been an incredible episode. Yeah. uh, So you can find me at my website, oldwisdomwellness.com. And then um, mostly I hang out on Instagram uh, at oldwisdomwellness. And I will be posting some mocktail recipes up there. So, Wow. What an incredible conversation. We hope you found this to be inspiring and encouraging in your own journey. 
If you're feeling called to continue the conversation, reach out to us. My specialty is in helping individuals and organizations create truly effective plans for burnout prevention and manage the change to get them from point B, burnout, to point P, performance. You can learn more and find me at MiltonCC.com. My specialty is in wellness engineering. And you may ask, what the heck is a wellness engineer? Well, I hope you stop trying to fit in and connect with your most authentic self so you can have more impact, fulfillment, and enjoy each day of your life. You can learn more and find me at lettuceforest.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to catch each new episode. And while you're here, why not check out some of our past episodes as well? Until next time, be well and don't forget to take a break.